0: So I'm here with Nathan Bostock, the CEO of Santander UK. Nathan, thank you so much for being with us on Fintech Insider Interviews. You're very welcome. Good to see you. Thank you very much for having us. So Nathan,
1: tell us, how did you come to be working in finance? Is this what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Well, actually, I a, was a mathematician, actually, from university. And um, at the time, I thought, uh, I'd like to get a broader background in in finance and a further sort of insight. So uh, I decided to do uh, accountancy, Uh, did that for a short time until I qualified. And that enabled me to see different businesses, different industries, uh, and introduced me to trading rooms in uh, in banks. So uh, I decided actually that was a very exciting, fast moving technology. Uh, place and it was at the time that interest rate derivatives, etc., and that were really first being established. So there was yeah. a lot of innovation back then and uh, a lot of excitement. Huge. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that people um, find things that interest
0: them and are drawn towards it. And, and I think way back then, did you ever see yourself becoming the CEO
1: of a, of a division of a bank? Was that kind of in your mind? No, not at <laughs> all. Actually, no. I mean, you were just caught up in the moment. Actually, it was back in the in the eighties, and there was a huge amount going on in you know in the city and and uh, opening up of markets, et cetera. Uh, no, I've really just taken, I'll call it different opportunities to do different jobs. So I've been very lucky. Uh, I've been across front office businesses, so trading rooms, corporate, retail. But I've also run things like the finance side and technology and operations and HR and, and products and marketing. Probably these days, quite hard actually to be given those opportunities, given the way regulators sort of think much more sort of vertically. Uh, but a fantastic opportunity to really see how everything fits together. So, yeah, broadening yeah. those horizons. I love this idea that you caught the bug of <laughs>
0: uh, finance and technology during the Big Bang in the uh, yeah. in the eighties. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, banking is, from our perspective, becoming more technology driven.
1: How are you at Santander embracing those changes? What, what kind of? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, often some of the people in banking will say they're the biggest technology companies in the world. They're certainly some of the biggest in terms of spend. Um, and they're much more complicated actually than people probably imagine if you you know took the lines of code and multiplied it up, they'd have spent billions in, in creating these things. But, but here, I think in terms of sort of, I'll call it the, the future and, and thinking about technology and its influence on, on banking, we probably sort of, there are three particular areas where we do things. One is we, we have our own type of labs. And so we, we test things, it might be private cloud, it might be blockchain, it might be those types of things. We partner. Uh, so we partner with, uh, with FinTechs, perhaps we we'll talk about that uh, a, a bit later. Uh, and we actually run an innovation fund. Uh, and that innovation fund currently is about $200 million. Uh, and we've probably looked at about 1,500 different fintechs in the world. We've invested in a number. Uh, and we have a certain type of criteria, not just a return on equity criteria, but very much, a is this a disruptive technology? Do we see it influencing our business, et cetera? So we have broader criteria by which we, we look to invest. Uh, and so those three give us a variety of ways of staying very relevant uh, to the speed of change of of technology. It's interesting that you've kind of got the the lab and the ability to incubate something internally
0: but also with the fund and with some of the outreach programs that it doesn't have to be invented
1: at Santander to impact your business is that fair uh, uh, it is yes absolutely you know, i'm in 100% and uh, if i go back to my, my times in you know in in the trading rooms uh, i was there at the beginning of options and one thing i learned in you know in options is that actually they provide you with opportunity so you sort of pay a premium and you get a you know you get an option from it. Well, this is very similar. I mean, I know if you took blockchain as a good example. I mean, I think it's very hard for people to say this will be the winning formula. Yeah? Mm-hmm. However, about it. <laughs> being engaged in these different aspects uh, is very very important because ultimately. It will be significant. That's a very great point. A friend of
0: mine, uh, Richard Brown, who's now the CTO of R3, uh, said to me in 2013, how do you buy an option on the future of blockchain? And I think that's a a really, really interesting way of looking at it. And again, your career of having seen different sides of banking usually gives you, I think, an interesting perspective. Uh,
1: And those three things are the ways we look to take that sort of option choice, you know, because you can do it in different ways, leveraging different things, your own ability, other people's ability, etc. So, you talked about kind of the wave of, and the
0: technology boom in the 80s. I think now we're finding ourselves in a position where uh, a lot of that technology is still around in banking. Yes. Do you think there's a way in which uh, organizations have to transform digitally to really come forward or can they can they have a best of both? Because the technology from the 80s works, it's stable, has great uptime, uh, but at the same time has some challenges. How, how do you balance that as an organization?
1: Yeah, I think really for me, the, the I mean, there are certain things that have happened during the years and the, the way technology is having a greater influence. But many of the things that are dramatically changing life today existed sort of 10 years ago, but they've evolved. You know? And so, you know, I, I think of things like, um, uh, I don't know, APIs yeah? and the ability to connect things, the ability to extract data, uh, for instance, is a classic, really big one in terms of shifting the way that, that people uh, interact from a, a customer perspective. Um, processing power. You know, just the sheer ability to do things that you couldn't do uh, previously. Uh, Mobile, for instance, and the way that actually it's becoming a a user device that everybody's very comfortable with, you know, multiple times the processing power of Apollo 13. It doesn't really matter. It's a lifestyle device that people now feel comfortable with, and it's changing the way that that we interact uh, with customers. So our thought process is very much one that, in the future, We have to think of ourselves versus the greatest experiences that people have today. So it might be your interaction with, I don't know, Amazon or Netflix or whatever. But that's what you, that's your standard. And so really, uh, our mindset is that we're a user of technology for customer experience based around increasingly personalization, uh, simplicity, uh, speed. And then ultimately, if it's in banking, uh, we think fairness. You know, fairness in terms of will people pay for a product? Yes, they will, but it has to be transparent, it has to be fair, etc. But it, it's utilizing customer centricity and the power of technology actually to drive experience rather than anything else. It's really interesting that you mention APIs and
0: driving experience mm-hmm. and customer centricity because you find yourself under PSD2 in a world in which there's an opportunity for a marketplace, for customers to have uh, their Santander information appear somewhere else or for something from somewhere else to appear inside a Santander app. Do you think there are challenges to that and do you think there are opportunities? And secondly, do you feel that the role of uh, an organization going forward is more about owning the relationship with that customer or being the logo that they
1: trust even if it's appearing through voice or appearing through some other channel? So I think the, the crucial thing, certainly in a, in a PSD2 world, f- from our perspective, I think you have to think um, opportunity. And of course, you also think an element of defensive. You, you have to. Um, but we're a challenger. Uh, and, and that provides us with opportunity. I always think if you're a very large incumbent, your natural thing is probably to think defensive. Yeah? Yeah. If you're a challenger, then your mindset is one of innovation, it's one of changing the status quo, and therefore you look to the opportunities that something like PSD2 uh, will provide. And that's certainly our, our mindset. I think it does create a real question mark for, uh, for the industry, for, for regulators, et cetera, which is, is safety and security of data. And what does that mean? And what are the legal requirements around it and all these types of things? This to me is is really going to evolve. So you open it up dramatically. When you open something up dramatically, you're then gonna face, let's call it, some further questions. These are these are ones that I think will will have to, to be there in the future. And the question around you know, trust, uh, et cetera, yes, this is why I think it may well prove very important because, as you know, we face issues around cyber, you face issues around fraud. You face, yeah. and, and so getting this right balance between objectivity of openness such that you can create things for people and at the same time them feeling fully trusted in terms of who's got their data what it's being used for, I think this is a journey we're going to live. Uh, It's a massive responsibility that retail banks have. Not every customer is fully technically
0: savvy and to make their transaction information available to other companies is a huge responsibility and and one that I I see you take very, very seriously. Um, Do you feel that partners can play more of a role? I know you've partnered with Cabbage and many others um, in
1: building end-to-end propositions for customers. Yeah, so I think, well, firstly, you raise a fantastic point, which is, uh, in fact, my view is banks have always organized themselves around their, their own world. And therefore, they've organized themselves vertically. So they have vertical departments and they have lots and lots of, of handoffs. That's not a customer experience. A Customer experience is something seamless. right? <laughs> and, and so firstly, banks have to rethink their world, which is end to end. And the way we've used um, partners, and I, th- I think it's interesting because in FinTech, you know, I think we've gone through that thing where sort of banks were the old Luddites and the Neanderthals, et cetera, and fintechs were fantastically, you know, new and modern, et cetera. But actually, there's a symbiotic world. Because one of the things difficult for fintechs is customers. Customer acquisition is expensive. One of the things that banks have are large amounts of customers. And so what we've been doing is we've been focusing on, I'll call it specific needs. So we say we want to solve something. So we want to act, Cabbage is a good example. We don't have an unsecured lending product for this part of the marketplace with this speed, with this type of nature. Okay. We could either try to develop something internally or we can pick somebody externally that's got some really bright people has really shown a lead on it and then we actually have to think about how do you become an integrator it's very of, interesting of that but really i would say we're in the early stages of learning how to truly partner because i think in the past people either bought software or they did jvs yes they didn't partner and one of the things about partnership is you have to learn what being a partner is do you know and so I think this is where we are at the moment. If you, yeah. Especially if one's big and one's small,
0: it's, it's there's a huge cultural gap Precisely. there. And, yeah. and at Santander you have a reputation for putting you know, digital talent as being something that you're, you're really high on. Uh, how do you kind of foster that innovative culture and make people who yeah. could go work for a tech company in Silicon Roundabout want to work for Santander? And I think partnerships with startups are a part of it, but I'm sure there's, there's more to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, people choose you know, different uh, environments, ecosystems, for lots of different reasons. One of the things that I think is is fairly fundamental here is probably three different aspects. One is, is, I'll call it behaviors, it's the environment in which people are operating. So our behaviors, some of them actually are really geared to this nature. So uh, we have actively collaborate, we have speak up, uh, we have embrace change. So having those types of behaviors, and these came from the people. I think creates an environment in which people feel that the best elements of I mean people might call it agile, they can call it almost what they like, but it's the ability to operate as a team and to be listened to, yeah, and to be, you know, to be creative. So we have that. We have the fact that we're a challenger. So by definition, if you don't accept the status quo, then that links with those behaviors to do something different, create something different. And then we've also been very focused around the fact that digital is a form of interaction with with customers. And if we're very customer focused, then we need to evolve that sort of thinking around digital. So we have sort of omnichannel of which digital is one, we want to be a challenger and a mindset, but fundamentally it's based on, do you have a set of behaviors that people want to, to come and join. And I often find, you know, you could put a 100-year history into a document, uh, and actually the people immediately go to page 10, where you talk about the behaviors and the environment, and that's the thing that is most important to them, not so much the history. That's why fintechs are what they are. It's, it's very hard to put your finger on what makes the culture of an organization,
0: but actually it's why people want to work somewhere, and it's it it's so, so crucial. It's, it's the foundation of, of a lot of good things. Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
1: Critical Mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today.
0: I'm conscious um, we're running low on time. So I want to just ask you the questions we ask everyone, which
1: is, um, first up, what rule do you live your life by? Um, It's a pretty simple one. Um, I always think you should treat people how you want to be treated yourself. Uh, And so if I, again, go back to sort of our behaviours, some of those sit very much in that space. So it's uh, show respect, give support, truly listen. So the adjectives are very important. It's not just the word. It's actually the the thing that you expect to go with it. Uh, And I've always found that that to me is one of the crucial uh, aspects. If you do that, you'll have diversity, you'll have a collaborative environment, you'll have, you know, so all of those things. If you don't have it, It it doesn't work. It's not about
0: targets and spreadsheets. It's about behaviors. That's a a really interesting point. And I think that leads on to how do you motivate a team and what's Mm -hmm. the best career advice you've ever received?
1: Um, So in terms of motivating a team, uh, again, uh, I I think you have to have a purpose and an aim. And our purpose is basically to, to help people and businesses prosper. Prosper being its broadest sense. So, you know, it can either be uh, helping somebody achieve something that they, they want to do. It might be, you know, uh, to have a new bike, to do X, to do Y. It could just be it's, there, it's making their life simpler so they can spend more time doing something else. So, from, from our point of view, we have a long-term vision of what we want to create. And actually, the, the thing that motivates people is being able to, to actually create that future and improve the lives of, uh, of customers. It's a very, very just focused view of, of life. Um, in terms of career, that's a very interesting one. I'm not sure I've, probably, not sure I, I've received that much career <laughs> guidance, but so very happy to share with you sort of learnings uh, over, the, uh, over the period. Um, one for me is I, th- I think you always have to work hard. I mean, there's no doubt if you sort of mean. But, but you do that naturally if you're very engaged. I mean, it's, uh, people don't think they're working hard, but they are because they're they're, they're very engaged. So I've always been very very engaged. I think you always have to consider that you can learn. So from everything, even if you're doing something relatively mundane, there's something you can actually garner from it. Uh, And the other thing is you have to be prepared to take some risks, take opportunities. Uh, But probably the key one is always work for exceptional people. If you can find exceptional people, work for them, learn as much as you can, and then opportunity, to be honest, will pre- you know present itself. That's fantastic, I love the story about you
0: finding the thing that engaged you in the early 80s and the rest was history. I think if you're listening to Fintech Insiders, that's a great piece of advice. Nathan Bostock, the CEO of Santander UK, thank you very much for being with us on Fintech Insider. Great to see you, thank you.